Hello and welcome to the next instalment of our group discussions. I'm your host, Liam, and I'm the manager of BCV. And today we are joined by my co-host, uh, Lewis. Do you want to say hi? Hello there. And our very special guests are Tom Bowen uh, from Two Fit, Shot by TV, amongst other businesses that he is running. So you want to say hi? What's up, guys? What's up? And then we're also joined by the lovely little bit, Alex, from Rise Fitness. Uh, do you want to say hi, Alex? Hey, how's it going? So in this podcast, we're going to have a, an in-depth discussion about exercise selection. So buckle up, it's going to be a long ride. We're going to go for, uh, jump in with Alex on this one. So in terms of exercise selection, if someone's not got a PT, what guidance would you get, uh, give them when they're choosing what movements, what exercises to be doing when they're starting their training? Um, so I think it's obviously a little bit dependent if that individual has specific goals, but I think what most people need to do is some sort of hinging, like a deadlift, um, some sort of squatting, be that um, just a goblet squat or a bodyweight squat or more advanced. And then um, a, ver- a, you know, a combination of a push and a pull movement. So maybe an overhead press um, uh, and then a bent over row. So a bit of an all-rounder, get everything warmed up and moving. Well, yeah, because I think most, well, basically what most people need is to just be um, proportionate. Um, and if they just start off in particular, you just need to build an awareness of um, of those movement patterns. And then we can scale them down even further. So, you know, if if, if a bodyweight squat to start with is a bit awkward or we're just not able to achieve, um, you know, a good-looking squat, then we can do things like split squats, which is kind of a variation of a lunge, but just focusing on one side at a time. Um, and we can just sort of regress it from there and then build up towards the, those bigger, uh, what we call compound movements. Cool. What about you, Tom? What would you recommend? Yeah, so... Pretty, like relatively the same I tend to start like base everyone around like a squat bench dead sort of movement for me like I'd always start with box squats whether that be body weight or with a bar if people are comfortable there slowly build them up until we're doing um, full scale barbell squats and then I do this I do a similar thing with deadlifts I start from a a rack or blocks and work down the height until they're pulling from the floor so that's always how I kind of start anyone off. Just get them up and going. And where would you go from there? So would you then go into a bit more of advanced movements or would you start increasing the weight and keeping the same movements or something um, else? A variation of both. So I'd always keep those movements in because I always do like sort of lift specific training days with clients. And then I'd just like building derivatives from those lifts. For argument's sake, if we're doing deadlifts, we might do some pause deadlifts. We might do stiff leg stuff. We might work from a deficit. If it's squats, again, we might add pause squats in. I tend to add split squats after that. I always try and nail a squat before we move on to split squats. So, yeah, like just those kind of things. But, again, if if the lift is tough, especially around like deadlifts, you can use in stuff like kettlebells. I find quite helpful allows you to keep that hinge whilst also taking a lot of the weight out of the movement. So you're focusing more on getting the proper movement down before yeah. increasing yeah. the weight. Yeah, that's it. Safety first, guys. Safety first. What about you, Alex? After like you've got your initial movements down and things like that, where are you moving your clients to? 
Um, well, obviously we can we can change the, the variables. Then become about the intensity of the exercise, right? So um, we can look at that in a, in a number of ways, either through the increasing of the weight. But um, I think a big thing that I fo- start focusing on a lot more in the past, probably six to eight months, is um, is just a lot of tempo work. So being able to demonstrate you know um strength and control and and the mechanics all the way through the movement pattern um up for a duration of time rather than um necessarily just putting it just you know progressively overloading the weight we increase the time on that weight and then once you know we can hit hit that with nice you know a nice looking move um then we can look to increase the the weight itself i think that i think that works really well especially with newer lifters when they're or someone learning a new movement because it's not only slowed down so they're able to really think about what they're doing, but they don't have the pressure of like the added weight. Um, obviously, if you, you know, progressive overloads, really important. But if it's just a case of sticking more weight on the bar, sometimes that can be a bit intimidating if they're not 100% confident in it. Whereas if, if you're just messing around with the tempo, they know that they can handle that load already. It's yeah. just a case of spending a little, little bit longer doing it. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know... Um... Adding adding things like pauses in at different points within the movement as well. It just it's a really great way to build strength um, without having to go super heavy on the loads as well. So yeah, you're just increasing that confidence within the movement pattern. Um, and like you said, Lou, just kind of um, taking your time to to sort of climb that curve if you like. Yeah. What about increasing um, volume more as well? Just so. Because obviously the loads that they'll be working with as a new lifter are going to be really light, so they're going to be relatively easy to recover from. Um, and just from a, uh, a point of view of like practicing those movements more and more, do you know what I mean? And if you if you if you rel- staying relatively heavy, obviously you're limiting the amount of reps that you're able to do, so it's less practice with the movement. So um, you- is that somewhere somewhere that you you know is that something that you look at doing more? Uh, well, for me, I, I so. I guess it's dependent on the exercise. If I'm looking at the exercise as a primary lift rather than more of an accessory exercise, on the on the the primary lift, um, I'm probably going to keep the volume the same. Um, but you know, you, you're increasing the volume in a way by increasing the tempo, right? So, like, if I'm doing, say, if I'm taking five seconds to get from a stood position down into my squat, and I'm doing five repetitions, then that's 25 seconds, assuming that I can come up in zero seconds. That's 25 seconds of time of detention. Um, if I just did those five reps normally, I might be able to do that in under 10 seconds. So, you know, it's a way of increasing volume without having to increase the load. Um, and then on an accessory, I guess I follow just quite a basic packet pattern. I'll start people off, find a weight that they can do four sets of, um, eight or just about sets of eight on once they can consistently hit four sets of eight, then we'll go to four sets of 10, maybe then four sets of 12. Um, Mm -hmm. and what you might find is that it's, you know, they do eight, eight, seven, six, and until they can hit eight across the board, we don't then go for more reps. Why do you start with eight? Why not five or seven or 20? Why, why go for eight? Uh, if it, basically, if the adaptation that I'm after is muscle growth, then for me, I'd, I probably wouldn't be doing more than sets of 12. And if I, if I can do a bigger set, then I, I would bring, you know, increase the weight. Yeah. A happy medium, right? That's yeah. sort of like a rep range. It gives you, I think, it gives you enough scope to sort of we're still helping to build general strength through the movement, but it's also giving you that added space to increase the volume as well to get other adaptations in it. 
Yeah. Um, and similar to Alex, it's like if I'm doing sets of 12, if my client's able to do more sets, uh, more reps, sorry, in that set, then it's either A, we're up in the way, or B, we're probably utilizing that rep range through like a drop set fashion. In regards, we might do the heaviest set of say 10 or 12, then we might drop the weight and go for more of a 15 plus, for argument's sake. Obviously, goal dependent. Yeah, and I don't know. Like sometimes uh, access to weight, to different weights as well can be challenging. Or also, you know, the next weight available up is too much. So, you know, that's where you're going to increase the time and detention through tempo work, or alternatively through um, more reps, right? Because, mm. um, and then hopefully, <laughs> you know, as that consistency builds at that tempo or at that rep range, then you can look to progress the weight. Yeah, I think with the tempo work, though, like myself, I, I rarely do tempo work on a main lift i.e squat deadlift stuff like that like for me the movement's hard enough as it is and like what i know especially my own training if i'm doing like tempo work and arguably i'm using a lighter weight now some people depending on how light that light that weight is they're not going to be able to hit the same sort of positions especially like for a back squat because like a lot of yeah. people might realise like you try and squat with an empty bar and then squat with 60 kilos on your back and you're going to feel way comfortable, way more comfortable with that heavier weight on your back. So I think the moment you drop it down into tempo work, it sort of almost knocks them out of whack a little bit. And like similar with deadlifts as well. I think you lose that kind of tension through the movement when you're throwing tempos in there. So what Yeah, would you... that makes sense as well, I suppose, especially with like um, if someone struggles to hit depth on a squat, um, so having that like, having that extra weight actually is what allows them to get get to the position that they need to. And yeah, when uh, you know, having having like a straight straight bar path or a relatively straight bar path when you pull, if the bar has basically got no weight on, you can you can flop the bar around anywhere and and mm -hmm. it'll it, it'll go there. Whereas I yeah. suppose if you've got sufficient weight, it's only going to move directly down. Yeah, exactly. So I think if I'm doing like tempo work. I tend to hold off for the the accessory portions of the lifts. So, oh yeah, if we're doing like a squat session, I might do like pause squats, but like I'd, I'd rarely do like a slow eccentric or you know a timed concentric part of the squat. But I'd save the tempo for like split squats to come after it or something like that. Same with like deadlifts, I might choose to do um, RDLs under a tempo. Because yeah. it's a it's a more controllable movement. Like you're already going at a lighter weight anyway to do the volume. So I'd rather add the tempos into that sort of section of the of the session. But I think both both ways around can work. I guess it it's all going to be individualised depending on what the what the. Oh yeah, it's all, it's all goal specific, isn't it? At the end of the day, like yeah, yeah. I I've used like tempos and pauses in my main lifts um, a fair bit. Um, and I, I actually quite enjoy the fact that it's limiting the load to a to a certain degree. Um, but again, I suppose I've been lifting for quite a few years now, so I can still manage decentish weights, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, um, like my tempo. That, if you've been squatting or for like a couple of years, and you've got that experience, then you're doing a tempo deadlift at like say. I don't know, mid hundreds. You know what I mean? So that's a, and that's enough weight to keep your tension and keep you in whack. Mm. Sandwich squats, you know, you might be using 100 kilos as a tempo. 
but like yeah. I think if you're going for like like novice lifters and clients, especially especially like female clients, like you might be doing a squat with the bar as a tempo, mm, yeah, and like same with deadlifts, and how much is that realistically going to keep them in the desired like tension and kind of keeping that frame solid throughout the whole movement. So I think it's very dependent and kind of works on who you, who you're working with at the end of the day. Yeah. I would, I would say an an argument in favor of doing tempo work, um, in all, in all major lifts though, is it allows the connective tissue to develop, um, at a closer rate to the, the muscle tissue, um, over time. So, from an injury prevention perspective is going to be much better if if someone's only able to achieve depth in a squat when they bang a load of weight on the on the back on the bar then that to me demonstrates that they don't have the strength to be in that position without it so you know th- th- to me I'd, I'd i'd see that as an issue rather than um a good thing it depends on the individual doesn't it like yes it's allowing the connective tissue to build better but it does just depend on the individual. Like, I don't know, you say like, if you can't do a squat without all this weight on your back, would say there's an issue and you're not strong enough to be in that squat. Like, I don't know. I don't really think that fully applies because we're talking about depth, which is talking about mobility, not necessarily. Yeah, I guess it's going to be both, isn't it? So if, if it allows a person to get a sufficient training stimulus while you know, while they still work on their mobility on the side, you know, if you can't hit, hit depth in a squat now, but you're actively doing stuff to, to work towards being able to, but that means you're able to train and you're able to, to get a good training effect, then I think it's, it can be utilized. And then also like, and again, the connective tissue thing is really important. I, I'd say that that's probably going to be coming more into play as you become like an intermediate to an advanced lifter. Cause like, again, you know, if you're, if you're only squatting 40 kilos, I don't think you're going to have to worry too much about your tendons. But then when you're starting to get up into like, you know, the, you know, high hundreds, 200s for, for, for guys, that's when potentially it can become much more of an issue. Sure, uh, but, but, but why not demonstrate it from the start? You know, if you, if you do it from, from the start, then as you build the weight progressively, you, you, the adaptation that you're going to get is going to be, um, you know, linear in that sense. Whereas if I only start worrying about it, once I've gotten to a certain weight, um, you know, the, the, the rate at which I'm perceiving how hard that is, is still going to be comparative to when I was a beginner. So if a, a beginner, I could back squat 40 kilos and now I'm intermediate and I can squat hundred kilos. It's 40 kilos was still really hard for me back in the beginning, just cause it's a lighter load. Um, it was hard, hard, hard on my body for a reason, wasn't it? Um, I think especially with beginner lifters, um, your perception of what's hard is definitely off. Like you're not able to grind out sets and reps um, just because you don't know that you're capable of doing that. Like I'd find very few new lifters actually can grind. They, if, they, if they meet any kind of real resistance, um, they'll stop or give up. Um, and you'll see it a lot of the time where, especially again, people that are in their first maybe six months, you'll see videos of people that have PB'd and they look easy, they look comfortable. Um, and again, I think that's probably because their maxes aren't actually what their maxes are. If that mm. makes sense. So mm. I think like there's no, there's definitely no reason why you couldn't use it from the start. Um, and that it's a completely valid point that why would you wait until it's a problem to start, start implementing it? But then again, I think it goes down to what, 
what's the most, what's the fastest route to get them to their training goal. As long as they're doing it safe and they're not hurting themselves and they've got that range of movement enough to qualify it. So if you're going into a competition or something like that, that that they're able to pass the mark, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be really a problem, but they should always be working on the mobility, trying to be able to do the movements without having low load of weight. And also I think, you know, like if we if we are just talking about, you know, the average gym goer rather than someone that's got like a specific goal to compete in a powerlifting meet or whatever, you know, their goals are going to be able to, are, are typically going to be to, to remain injury free and look and feel confident in some capacity. Yeah. And, um, you know, that lends itself very well to a more kind of controlled focus on, on the training because that's exactly what, you know, hopefully we'll be able to achieve. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, like, I think in a perfect situation, you there'd always be a there'd be a combination of both. You go from cycles of using tempo work to then you know not tempo work and pause work. Um, yeah, because again, they're they're all useful, well, and also they're all going to create slightly different adaptations, which is going to help get through plateaus. So they're they're useful mm-hmm. to kind of all all use, but in different um, yeah. different clearly defined um, cycles of training. Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to get used to kind of, you know, being able to use the stretch reflex, for example, in your muscles to your advantage if you're only doing tempo and pause work because you're never going to utilize it. So, yeah, 100%. And also, you know, if we're talking about getting explosive, which you need to do in weightlifting, um, obviously we need a certain degree of strength and stuff, but at some point you're going to have to sorry, sort of show power, yeah. express, express power. Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely. So basically, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you can do it all. Do it all or do none of it. It doesn't matter. Standard DTV conversation. We have an argument. Arguing two points if we arrange at the same point. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, um, that's kind of the nice thing about training. There's literally that many ways of doing something that no one, well, I can't say, can't say no one's wrong. There's definitely some wrong opinions. But like on, on, on most of the stuff, that, especially what we're going to be talking about, there is, there's going to be good arguments to do it. Um, I think the limiting factor is just the fact that you can't do everything. You have to pick what matches closer to your goals and also what you enjoy, because I think that's going to be a really big part of exercise selection in general. If you hate tempo stuff and you dread your sessions because you hate tempos, then are you better off doing a pause or are you better off doing a pin squat? Do you know what I mean? Like if you've got a variation you should prefer, which will give you similar stimulus and you're, you're more likely to, to have a, um, just a better session because you're going to feel better going into it. Why not choose that movement? There you go, man. I mean, that's like with the mental aspect of it. Because if you're going into a session thinking, um, well, like you say, you're dreading going into it and you get in there, you're not going to do as well as you're really hyped for your session. That's what I always tell myself when it comes to squats. I'm not going to enjoy them, just don't do them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, mate. Just wear trousers the rest of your life, like winning. Yeah. Who needs legs, mate? Who needs them? So okay. we, we briefly spoke about it before. I want to actually touch on this. Um, you said about um, squatting to depth. And obviously we've got loads of powerlifters at the gym. So this is going to be a, a, a touchy subject. But is squatting to depth essential in your guys' uh, opinion? Is it like, can everyone, you know, physiologically, can their bodies do it? Um, is it essential? And are there certain people, certain athletes, where actually squatting... You know, doing a half squat is actually more beneficial to them than a full squat. I think 
I think you can, you can come about it at a lot of different points here. So I think if we're talking like powerlifter striving, say, then obviously squatting to depth is essential as they, they, they're judged on squatting to depth. Yeah. So if they ain't hitting depth and they can't hit depth, well, they ain't getting the lift. I think if you bring that into more like general training, then I think that squatting below parallel, there's a, there's a risk versus reward factor as soon as that comes in. Mm-hmm. If you stay above parallel, you're you're limiting the injury you're gonna get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that that stretch reflex can be a dangerous place to be if you're not used to being there. If you've got a lot of weight there, so if you haven't got to do it, then there's no need to do it. You know what I mean? There's other movements you can do to get the benefit out of whatever you're trying to achieve from that. Yeah. But everyone's obviously built a little bit differently, aren't they? People's yeah, exactly. structures and you know their, their ankle mobility and whatever else. There's a lot of things. Obviously, there's things that you can work on, but like the structure of your hips, you can't change that. Like certain people, you you seen like X-rays and their their hips are completely in a different shape, which just means that it's bone on bone. They can't get into certain positions. Yeah, Kiri's a Kiri's a prime example of that. Like she can't hit. She if I'm right in saying she can't squat to death due to her hip injury, isn't it? Uh, it was at, it's her the structure of her hips there the so although she can do the splits uh, one way I can't remember which way it is I think yeah she can do the splits facing forward but she physically can't do the splits sideways because like her hip socket is yeah. more front facing I don't know if that's the correct term for it um, which okay. causes like some hip mobility problems there you go so yeah so like in that sense then you've got that but I think if you bring it into the athlete perspective again depends on the sport like athletes i know a lot of coaches strength coaches for athletes have always favored like a quarter squat or like just a concentric focused pin squat because like if you go through sprinters jumpers boxers footballers none of them move from a full squat depth position you know what i mean yeah. you go for a jump no one squats to depth below parallel then explode you always come on almost into this like quarter squat uh, power position. Yeah. So I think again, in that case, if like, if you're not going to use the full movement in game effectively, then there's, it's not a, a necessity to work the full movement in training. I'm not saying you shouldn't because then they, if you're stronger in the full movement, majority is going to be stronger in the half movement. Yeah. What about in terms of just yeah? What What about in terms of just general health? Because I know there's more um, evidence coming out in terms of just being able to squat in a full range of motion actually quite beneficial for your knees. Um, mm-hmm. And by full range of motion, I mean full to that individual. Do you know what I mean? Your full range of motion and mine are going to yeah. be completely different. Um, even though that it doesn't necessarily carry over to their sport to do it. Do you think that then they could have like, you know, say they're doing half squats because they're a sprinter, they don't need hip depth and that's the bulk of their strength work. But then maybe as an accessory, um, they're doing some like full range of motion squats with, you know, 60% of the load. Yeah, that, that's, pro- that's probably that. Like from when I trained like Emma, like being a long jumper, um, we did have full squats in her program. Yeah. But then we also had, like half squats from the pins in her program. And yeah. some phases we'd favour the full squat, especially in off season, because we want to just get 
stronger. We want to just increase the amount of power she physically has access to. And then when it comes into your into like pre-season or like during season, then you just work on the definitives. Like that's not a time to work on that sort of stuff. So it depends on what sort of like yeah. thing you're in. In, I mean, the, in the off-season. What about you in regards to like CrossFit? Would you think that kind of falls in under that as well? Well, I I think a full squat, a full depth squat is aspirational for the like the general population. Um, you know, whether you can hit it from the off or not is 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 irrelevant in a way. You know, it's what we should be working towards because, you know, in essence, we're trying to restore functionality of the you know of the movement pattern. Um, and then, but you know, you're right in saying that, not, you know, not all squats are going to look the same. And the one thing in CrossFit that I think um, is kind of forgotten is most of the positions lend themselves more to a high bar position um, on, on a back squat. Mm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that athlete wouldn't be better suited to a low bar, like a low bar position. You know, maybe they have got a more more hingy back squat. Um, or just a hingier squat in general, just because of the length of their levers, and and their you know their like you said their individual sort of characteristics anatomically. So um, I think there's that to consider. And then if we're just talking about sports in general, you know the reason that things like pin squats um, are, would be great and, and things like that is especially in season. Obviously, we're trying to reduce eccentric load because um, we we also know that that's going to leave us dumbed up a little bit more, right? So. Um, you know, I think um, I think you'll have sort of a different pattern of training often off season and in season, and you know, depending on the volume of um, you know the, the volume of the sport in terms of how much is being played. Obviously, uh, uh, what we're essentially trying to do is just keep you fit in season and keep you keep you injury free, and then off season, then you can focus on um, you know sort of a bigger a bigger strength program like you were talking about Tom or something yeah. else but I think for the general for the average you know the average person that's just starting off in the gym or just is interested in having great health then I think a, you know a full depth squat should be what we're working towards and there's many ways of achieving that um, but I think the best exercise to be doing is any sort of variation of a split squat because it's going to allow us to probably work a bigger range for a new newbie um, than a, than a just a bodyweight squat yeah what we what you spoke about just with um talking about bar position in terms of high bar or low bar um for different limb lengths maybe do you want to like go into that a little bit explain like because you know there's going to be a lot of people that aren't well one they might have heard the terms like high bar and low bar um but don't really understand what that means and how one of them actually will be more beneficial to a certain body type than other body types yeah sure so um basically it's, it, we're talking about where the bar is situated on on the shoulders or on the back of the body um for a back squat typically uh, yeah not typically always um and um the high bar is where the bar is sort of straddled over over the traps when when you when you squeeze your shoulder blades together and then um the low bar position is situated more in sort of um your rear delts if you like it come the bar is a little bit lower uh hands are typically wider and basically um with a high bar you know, there's definitely more of an emphasis on keeping a more upright torso as you descend down into your squat, um, and and achieving full depth whilst maintaining more of that upright torso. Whereas when we're on a low bar, you end up hinging forward to compensate for the position of the bar, um, and as a result, I think a lot of low bar squats typically don't look like they're hitting 
um, as greater depth, but that's potentially what's going to be more suited to to that individual. Um, but what you know, one truth that we're looking for with all sorts of squatting patterns, or you know, most lifting patterns, typically is a straight line, right? A straight line is a strong line. So, um, if I'm, if for me, I think a low bar probably would be better, a, a better suited position for me because I'm, I'm taller. I've got longer femurs, so the the, the bone in my upper leg, and I just think um, it would be a little bit more comfortable. And I, I do have already quite a hingy squat, even though I squat high bar typically. Um, Whereas high bar is a little bit more of a comfier position, typically for those that are maybe a shorter athlete, for example. Yeah, I think um, again, it's like limb to torso length that's really important, isn't it? Um, like the the longer limb people generally do better with a with a low bar, um, and that's not to say that people with shorter limbs, longer torso, um, won't do good with low bar as well. To be fair, most of the time they can actually do both. Having shorter limbs. Um, is an advantage in most like squatting and pressing movements. I mean, you you squat low bar, right, Lou? Yeah, I squat low bar, even though I've got very short legs. <laughs> you mean you're both like what five eight at a point yeah. on a good day, and like we both squat low bar. I mean, for me, it's more so that I feel high bar hurts my back too much because I lean forward when I squat anyway. Because I've got that bar just that couple of inches higher, it's almost exaggerating that lean for me so I find yep. if I bring it down a couple of inches into a low bar position it allows me to kind of keep my chest a little bit higher and sort of saves my lower back a little bit yeah what. yeah I think um for me I go for low bar because it actually because you sit back into the squat a lot more gets my ha- hamstrings activated I can actually get a bit of a stretch reflex because for whatever reason just not through any um not through any mobility work I, I've got incredible amounts of dorsiflexion. So like my, my knees can travel like about half a mile in front of my toes. Um, so I can sit into a real deep squat with no problem. Um, but that also means that I really do struggle to get any kind of a stretch reflex or a bounce out the bottom of a squat. Um, and when I go to a low bar position, that allows me to like push my hips back a lot further. I feel some tension in my hamstrings and I can, yeah, I can hit just below parallel and have a little bit of a, a bounce coming up and it just feels like everything's much tighter. There's not as many moving parts in my low bar to pe- compared to my high bar. Hmm. Just feels more solid. Yeah, we, so, yeah like, it's another one of those that does come down to personal preference, but then mm-hmm. there are like certain mechanics that are just built for low bar. Yeah. You know yeah, definitely. Like, the, like, the, I think... Um, stuff like that, like you just, you just built that way so you're always going to benefit from that. But like you said, it doesn't mean you can't benefit from the other way. It's just that one's going to feel way more natural. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen some people um, that have been that are very limmy um, and their high bar squat, because they can't help but hinge back so much, they end up almost like the bar almost ends up rolling onto the top of their neck because they're trying, they're, they, they physically can't get into good positions. And when you're like that, it's just, it's a no brainer that low bar is a better position for you. Yeah. So um, I think generally like if you're, if you're struggling with squats at the moment and you're thinking like, this just doesn't feel right. Then nine times out of 10, you try the other, the other position, it's going to feel a shitload better. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're think, doing a high bar and every time you do high bar squats, you're thinking, this is just weird. Well, I think one thing that's worth noting about a low bar position is it's like it's uh, it's it's harder to find um, first of all, and also um, 
in essence, you're having to pin the bar onto your back a, a lot more, right? You're having to exert more force to, to keep it in position. Whereas when it's in a high bar position, and it's resting across your traps. There's more of a natural shelf, if you like, for that bar to sit on. So um, if we're going you know, to just talk about it again, this from like a, new, a beginner's sense, you're probably going to find it easier to find a high bar position in terms of the placement of the bar, whether that's right or not, you'll then obviously go on to learn. But, that, you know, I think that low bar position is actually very difficult to find to start with, or at least I find it more challenging. No, definitely. Like I think um, especially if when, like if you're a lighter person that hasn't got a lot of muscle on you, um, it's going to be very uncomfortable and finding that shelf, like your rear delts might not be popping out because they're just not that well developed. They might, they might not physically be a shelf for you to find. Um, just like the, the shoulder mobility becomes a lot more of an issue with a low bar squat. Um, and that can be something that again, people that haven't been doing any kind of training or mobility work may find quite uncomfortable at the start. Um, and even, even people that have been doing it for years will get like, you know, tendonitis from low bar squatting. Yeah. Yeah. I was literally going to say that like it, it sits in your elbows quite a lot yeah. and um, can become a bit of a issue with that. But like I said as well, like if you haven't got that sort of back development either, like, you know, you haven't really got much of like an upper back, lats, traps, anything like that. You're going to struggle to keep the tension. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like you say, it's built for certain people and yeah. it's definitely something you've got to get used to. Just to go back onto the, the CrossFit point, um, to your original question about um, achieving full depth on a squat. Again, if you are going to compete in CrossFit, the, the standard is a full depth squat. So if, you, if your hip crease isn't going below the height of your knees, um, it's a no rep so um if, if that is your goal then you're going to have to work hard to, to be able to achieve that position and then second of all you know uh, there's a lot more sort of emphasis on maybe a front squat position so in a clean um in front squats in thrusters whatever you know um those those uh, barbell positions a front squat position you know is closer to a high bar position on a back squat than it is a low bar position on a back squat so again the practice of a high bar back squat is probably going to have more transference into into that sport um specifically yeah well, i know we spoke about as well saying right at the start saying that not everyone can phys- physically hit depth um but that is a very small portion of the population i think like what you said before is everyone should like have that as an aspiration to be able to perform a, a full depth squat. Um, I'd say probably like 98, 99% of the population should be able to hit depth with yeah. a little bit of mobility work within a couple of months. Well, I mean, but you know, it's a, it is a practice and it's a long-term practice. I, I would say I only really started squatting probably three years ago properly. And, and you know, I had to, it's taken me the better part of three years to get my squat looking half decent, which is where I put it now. And it's going to be an ongoing practice to try and improve it further than where it is now. So it's not, it was, you know, it might be that actually with it, with a little bit of regularity in the practice that you, you'll see good gains with the mobility straight away. It's also one of those things that you've got to always work out. Like you can't just rely on, on fixing it. And then, and then that's it. You're good. Like, you're going to always have to try and put yourself through that range of movement. And I saw a, a post on Instagram the other day and it was like every, every day that you don't squat is a day closer to not being able to. True. Yeah. That's a good point. Thanks. I haven't squatted in like eight weeks. <laughs> That's not true, man. You were squatting in my boot camp last night. That was the first time. Then we'll give that. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that's a fair point as well. Like, um, 
in terms of levels of difficulty. Where, as we spoke about, limb length might be better suited towards you know certain types of squat, high bar or low bar. Generally speaking, those um, longer limbed, leggier people um, will need to put more time and work in to get a squat, whereas people with shorter limbs will find that the squat will come to them a bit more naturally, generally speaking, um, and it will require a little bit less mobility work for them to get that to get depth. Um, but then swings and roundabouts as like um, like a hip hinge, like a, a deadlift. Then, then that's the opposite, and that lends itself more towards people with longer limbs and a shorter torso. Um, and people that do have shorter limbs will struggle a little bit more just because they've got a longer moment arm, there's a lot more strain on the lower back, and they'll find it awkward getting in good position. So it's not just, you know what I mean, it's not one build type is perfect for lifting and another's wrong. They do suit different movements. Yeah. I know for me personally, I've, I struggle with my mobility. So obviously I have to do a lot of stretches and things like that before I do squats. And it wasn't until recently that I started doing low bar squats that I'm finding that my positioning and my movement is a lot better. Whereas when I was doing the high bar squat, I was leaning over a lot more like Tom, uh, you lean over a lot more yeah. forward when you're doing a high bar squat. Yeah. Well, that's I, think something. Squat, I think squats is one of those movements, like even going away from like the high bar or low bar, even down to like foot position or like how you should squat. There's like this textbook version of what a squat should look like. And like, it's absolute nonsense. Like squat is like the most like mechanically demanding movement. And like everyone will squat differently. Like, you know, we've known people that will squat with their feet about this close, completely parallel. And they'll hit depth like no one's business. And then there's me that will squat with about shoulder width apart, feet at like 10 and 2. And I'll have to, I'll have to do that to hit depth. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a, it's just one of the movements that people thinks just a standard. Or oh, you, you've got to squat like this. Especially coaches, new coaches to the industry, like, oh, this is how you squat, and it's like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I think uh, until you start seeing how many different, because it's not something that you really you think about until you're actually dealing with people, um, mm -hmm. how different their body types actually are, limb lengths and whatever else, and mobility, and how much that actually affects how they can move uh, would you uh, have any recommendations for somebody like say they're, they're relatively new or they squat already but they're just like they're having problems with it how do they discover the right way to to match it is there like you know a process of elimination that they're going to be going through personally yeah i think if you haven't got the benefit of having like a coach's eye on you like i mean i'm sure like i'm, I'm like you i'm sure alex like it too you can get a client to squat in like a relative generic way and then as soon as they've done 10 reps you can kind of you've already started like eliminating like right that's an issue we'll try this and you'll probably be able to fix it quite quick if you haven't got the benefit of having that then it is just this a slow process process elimination like just what doesn't feel right if something doesn't feel good like you know what i mean you feel like your knees feel like you can't get your knees out okay well try turning your feet out slightly right, now your knees can go out. You know what I mean? Like, right, I'm struggling to actually get depth. Right, are your feet wide enough? Then it's like, yeah. right, is my back, do I feel like I'm leaning too much? Right, cool. Bring the bar down a little bit, try that. And it's just working it out, really. Like, Yeah, and filming all the sets as well, because especially on something like that, like just going from feel is one thing, but then being able to have that like external perspective, because a lot of the time what you feel and what's actually happening 
um, there's definitely they're not they never they never quite line up as you as you'd think they would. So yeah, I, but I feel like you can um, I feel like you can get to the the pretty much brass tacks of it without filming, and then to fine tune it, I'd sort of like film it. So if you like, you can get to a comfortable position without having to actually see the technique. You can do <laughs> that just off feeling it. And then, like yeah. you said, when it's like, right, this feels good now, but we still need to make it better. Then you can start filming and sort of like picking your technique apart, really. Yeah. I think um, some good starting places for people to look at would be to YouTube um, squat therapy and have a go at that exercise. And then from there, you'll pretty much be able to, you should be able to feel it internally what's going on with your body and, and where there's a struggle. And, and then you can start looking at, into a bit more specificity in terms of how to treat that. And then um, uh, just some starting exercises that, you know, for anyone that's brand new to the gym is, is to start with the split squats. Then you can progress those by, by, elevating either the front or the rear foot um and obviously adding adding weight adding tempo adding uh, time and detention in the bottom position and then once you feel competent with that you can then progress on to things like a goblet squat um which is a good good identifier as to how you know how you're doing in terms of depth but the advantage of a goblet squat is because of where you hold the weight it kind of acts as a little bit of a counterbalance so if, for example you've got ankle mobility issues you struggle for you know your knees just aren't tracking forward over your toes it might allow you to still pass into full depth um because you're a little bit more counterbalanced you're not going to fall backwards um and then um Tom mentioned box squats earlier as well the great thing about a box squat is you can progress it so let's say for example the first time you step into the gym you can squat to a bench but only if it's got like a 20 kilo plate on it and then you know you do that for a series of say three weeks you take the plate off now you can squat to the bench comfortably sweet so you we get rid of the bench and we start a pile of plates and you know you can progress it down so eventually over time you are you know revealing that full range of movement again mm. just yeah. doing it little by little yeah them. that's a really effective way of doing it because not only are you just you you're getting them used to being in positions like you can do with stretching but you're actually building strength in those positions as well by performing the exercise i think that that's um i've used it i've had a couple of friends who've trained with me on and off um in the past and they've come in with like you know literally day one not being able to not be able to even like do a half squat and then over a couple of weeks of progress what i actually use because it was available at pretty much every gym is a is a dumbbell stood on its end Mm. Um, and you're not fully sitting onto the, the box like a traditional box squat. It's more of a squat to a box where you, you yeah. just pack down onto it just as a gauge of depth. Um, and then you could work your way down the dumbbell. So you start off with a big dumbbell, like a you know a 50 kilo. So it's quite tall. And then you that's can go like 45. So it's very small increments. That's below parallel for me. That's, that's <laughs> Well, it depends that's on what gym you're at. That third old squat like you, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> into depth, probably. Going into so, different probably, realms. I think that's a that's definitely like a real good um, technique to build a strength in like gradually increasing range of motion. It's almost working the exact same as how Tom was saying he'd start off a client with like a, a rack pull or a, a high mm -hmm. block pull and then progressively build strength um, yeah. from like lower and lower positions. Yeah, for sure. And I think as a coach as well, you know, that's just part of meeting your client where they are rather than trying to force them into this box that you think that they, they should be in straight from the off, which yeah. is not where their ability is at at that point. I think, yeah. as well, I think the benefit, the major benefit for me for a box squat with my clients is like a depth gauge that you can say like, right, you'll eventually get to a depth and like, right, that depth is below parallel now. 
So if, yeah. we're trying, if we're trying to get in squat flag power, that's where you need to be. Because so many times, like you'll say, right, squat's depth, and you're like, okay, you're, you're not depth. A little bit lower, a little bit lower. And they're like, that literally feels like where I need to be. So until you've introduced that sort of, like, gauge as to, okay, like, that, there's your benchmark. Yeah, they need to know that sensation of being in yeah. that position, don't they? So we need to get used to the feeling of being like, right, so this is how long I should be squatting for, and this is sort of like where yeah. I need to be getting to position-wise. And then eventually they'll just like, you'll be able to take the box away and they'll be able to easily hit that depth every time because mm. they know where it is now. Like, Yeah. One last thing on, on that really is, um, uh, you know, you got to think if, uh, if for 40 years of your life, you've, you've been neglecting your mobility, you've been neglecting training, um, you've been moving in, in sort of a, a less, a less than ideal movement pattern to come in day one and expect that to change it isn't going to happen is it because you've got 40 years of work to undo so yeah. the more time we can try and sort of reprogram ourselves back into that the 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 better that would be but that that may take a, a long time to achieve and that's not a bad thing like you know again if we're speaking about just the average person that wants to you know feel better and live longer and we're talking about injury prevention then we don't need to we don't need them to be hitting that from the first day that they come in the gym no of course yeah. not i think anything worth doing is going to take a bit of time isn't it it is. We've spoke about squats quite a lot. Um, I think maybe now, why don't we fire through? Because it, obviously, it's just the general topic of exercise selection. Why don't we, if I say uh, a couple of movements, why don't you give me a couple of variations that you guys use and like either yourselves or with clients, um, and then maybe a bit of a, an explanation of why you why you'd pick them. Tom, do you want to fire out a couple of deadlift variations that you like to use with either yourself or with clients, and then give us a little explanation of why yeah I mean deadlift variations I mean you've got your standard deficit which I don't use as much I think one that I do like to use is a trap bar so if I'm not doing a normal deadlift I'll always use like a trap bar and then from there I'll band it and I just think with the trap bar it allows you to sit in that more upright position takes keeps the strain keeps the tension in your posterior chain but it just kind of loosens it off your back a little bit. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to get, you don't get as battered with it, yeah. I find. Um, and I like to do a lot of um, concentric focuses on them, just thinking really explosive pulling. So taking the weight, taking the slack, and then just really fast concentric, and then just from the floor, reset, go again. Grip and rip. Grip and rip, but a bit more safer than that. You know what I mean? We've got we to take the slack out, innit? Can't be, can't be going in, going in cold. Keep them bicep tendons attached. <laughs> there we go, man. But yeah, that and then RDLs as well. Like if I'm talking deadlifts, like I just love an RDL. Yeah. Get, get them hands. Yeah. Is there any reason you'd pick an RDL over a stiff leg? Yeah, I think you can, you can direct your tension a lot better with an RDL. I think with a stiff leg, people kind of lose focus on the actual stiff leg element it become it does become more about shifting weight doesn't it with a stiff yeah. leg i find i think with an rdl they're a lot more they're a lot more humbling like because they don't touch the floor so you've got to have that tension yeah you, you directly feel it on your hamstrings you can maintain your leg position better because you're not overexerting that mobility i think that's another thing as well it's people they get a bit brave with how mobile they are and I think with an, even with RDLs, like I think, oh, it's got to go all the way to the floor. 
and it's like, well, no, it's like as soon as you feel those hamstrings kick in, hit the brakes, reverse, go back up. Like that's actually that's your point of of done then. Like, yeah, I think with the deadlift, like um, again, if with newer lifters, you'll see it really common where the back's rounded because I think people think, oh, they just need to if they can reach over and touch the bar, then they've got the mobility to perform a deadlift. Whereas mm-hmm. that's definitely not the case because they're getting that that extra range of motion from like your spine an area where you there shouldn't really be any flexion or very very little yeah um so again it's something that's probably another argument towards filming filming your lifts even if you don't do it regularly but like just every so often or if you're new to a movement i think it is definitely worth um worth chucking them in occasionally just so you can look at yourself and like oh shit do i look that bad when i'm deadlifting and if you can't film it get the like get a coach to look at it. Don't get a member to look at it. Yeah, you're you're always gonna pick the member that's just like, yeah, bro, that was good. Or you, you got more weight there. Yeah, the, the back's looking like the Arc of Triumph or something. Yeah, yeah, because there is that as well. Because no one's gonna want to necessarily ch- chuck out um, what could potentially perceive be perceived as an insult. Whereas, like again, coaches. Well, like coaches are used to offering like constructive criticism, and I think that's the main thing. If if you know you speak to somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, even if they identify that what you've done is wrong, if they can't offer any useful advice, if they're just like, yeah, your back's rounded, but yeah. they can't do anything, what are you going to do with that information? Do you know what I mean? Whereas a coach might be able to give you a pointer then and there, mm-hmm. and you can actually actively do something about it. Yeah, I mean, especially me, I like to throw an insult in there once or twice before I get to the um, the constructive criticism. But that's, <laughs> that's just me. That's just where we're working. But yeah. Well, exactly. You, you, you've got to, ain't you? Every so often. You're yeah. shit. But, <laughs> but yeah. you could be really good. <laughs> what about yeah. you, Alex? Um, well, I will offer some alternatives then. Um, so let's talk about weightlifting specifically, you know, a snatch grip deadlift would be a fantastic way to um, express the strength to at least do the, the first fight or the, the first sort of two or three phases of a snatch at that weight. Um, and if you, you know, if it's moving well during your deadlift, then hope, and uh, you know, you can achieve volume at that, then hopefully you'll be able to start progressing towards expressing that in a full snatch. Um, and then um, I, you know, I, I kind of think this this one falls into the deadlift category. Um, so this is uh, this is called a Jefferson curl. And um, if you imagine, if you say you were stood okay. on a uh, stood on an elevated platform um, with an empty bar in your hand, keeping the bar tight to your body, you'd slowly just curl through your spine, um, keeping the hips high and the legs as straight as possible. Um, and then, you know, if you've got the the capacity to go below your toes and you can carry on. But basically what it is a, a really fantastic way of is um is unloading the spine without having to hang. Um, first of all. And then second of all, as well, just get just you know, regain some um space between between the vertebrae, but also build build a little bit of strength. And it's the kind of thing that you can over time begin to uh, you know express more weight on the bar with. Um but it's one of those ones you would start off super light. But it, it, what it does is it allows our spine to work through flexion and extension, which it is designed to do, even if for the most time, most, you know, most of the time we're trying to keep it in, in a, a neutral position. What this does is it allows us to take us through that full range in a safe way because we do, I typically do this with a, a lo- very long tempo. So it might take me 10 seconds to get from extension de- uh, down into, into the bottom position and back up. 
I think the emphasis on that is just like start off with an empty bar though. Like, yeah. Or even, yeah. you know, even less than that. Yeah, like an eight kilo kettlebell would be a great starting point for probably most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and all you got to do is literally imagine vertebra by vertebra, you're slowly lowering yourself down towards the floor. And then as you come back up, you you repeat that process of building, putting the blocks back on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it good. I find it good for warming up, like pre deadlifts, like warm up with some of them, um, just to kind of, like you said, help me feel a little bit more, bit more space in the vertebrae, so it allows a bit more movement. I know my tension is going to be a lot better after that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to chuck uh, one out there that we uh, have been using more recently. It's just a, a single leg, um, stiff leg deadlift. Just because at the moment we've been massively limited, or oh, a lot of people have been massively limited on what access they've got to weights. So that's a way, like, for most people, most the, the average guy can probably, you know, pull a considerable amount of weight um, more than they're going to have access to with like their their stuff that they've got around their house. So unless they've got a barbell and plates, they're not going to be able to deadlift or do a traditional deadlift um, with enough stimulus. So, you know, using a relatively light kettlebell or some, you know, some, even a heavy shopping bag, you can, you can get a good amount of like tension in your hamstrings and glutes by making that single leg, making it stiff leg as well. Um, that was something I was using with Liam when we were we were training, um, and it's actually then he's gone back to being able to use a barbell now, and everything feels a lot stronger and a lot better, um, and you just get a lot more out of a lot less weight. Yeah, and don't forget with stuff like that as well. It's a great way to develop other sort of health related components of fitness. Sorry, skill related like um, coordination and balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's something you know, that's really. Um, really not talked about a lot the the, the balance component of, of training and that's something that does build up over time that you most of the time it's just a, a bit of a side effect from from your regular training um, yeah, yeah. but yeah. especially with people that are a little bit older as that's something that becomes much more of an issue um it's really a, it's a really is a crucial thing to focus on in your training and i think like the older you get um the more that needs to be prioritized yeah, and I think, uh, you know, just that's what, one of the benefits of doing a lot of single leg work is it, it develops that, you know, you get a lot of these people that sort of mark themselves as being clumsy and that's just who they are without actually realizing that you can you, you can develop things like balance. It is, it is something that can be learned and, yeah. and, and progressed. Definitely. Uh, Tom, you've got some, other than just your standard overhead press and bench press, chuck us out a couple of variations that you like. Oh, I love a Z, I love a Z press. Me too. <laughs> I really write a Z press. Just that kind of like it's just unsupported. It's it's kind of I mean it's I mean it's granted it's a harder than an overhead press and it is probably one of the hardest press variations to do. But I think you just get a lot more from it. You can't cheat at all yeah. on it. You've got no like counter movement, so there's there's no cheating. It's good for general core development as well because you've got to keep your core absolutely solid throughout. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think that's probably one of my my favourite exercises to do. Other than that, is um, probably like just like single arm like kettlebell presses. I quite rate, and I quite like the counterbalance of having one arm locked overhead in just a hold, whilst the other yeah. one progresses through a pressing set. Yeah, and then we alternate and we go again. Again, just another personal one that I like to use with clients. Yeah, both of them like bracing is really important on them. Like uh, the obviously the single arm work, because um, obviously you're you're 
you're, you're preventing any kind of rotation in your trunk as you're doing it or keeping it to a minimum. Um, and with the Z-Press, like anyone, who, anyone who's failed on a Z-Press has more than likely fell over because <laughs> yeah. like, that's kind of what happens. You just end up rocking back. Just rolling back, um, yeah. Like, cool. and, Nine times out of ten, your core will probably give way before your shoulders yeah. will give way if you're, yeah. a, if you're a, d- a decent presser, that is. Yeah, I think yeah. as well, like... Um, it's a bit of a mishmash, like your shoulders will <laughs> quite easily just be terrible. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Z-Press and I'm doing it a bit at the moment. And uh, I find that that as well, as far as like a pure overhead as a, as a shoulder movement, mm. like that is the most shouldery press that you can do. Because yeah. like anything where you can lean back, if you're doing any kind of inclined press where you're, where even if you're, you're on a bench, if you're pressing back into the pad, your pecs are going to be getting involved to a certain degree because you're able to, 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 to create an arch in your back, which is almost making it less of a, Less of an incline. Yeah. Um, and then same with pretty much any standing work because unless you are being very strict in not getting any bend in your knees or any lean back, um, like you'll you'll know if you try if you try and do that when you do a Z press, you'll end up you'll end up flat on your back, you'll fail yeah, the lift. You just gone so I think that's probably one of my like one of my favourite uh, press variations. I knew I liked you for a reason, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> what about you, Alex? Um I, I guess the the ones I'm going to give are maybe a little bit more advanced uh, in the sense that, um, that, or at least in terms of body weight movements, um, I really like ring dips um, as a as a press movement. Uh, I, I like rings specifically because you have to have uh, you have to have the ability to stabilize, uh, you know, because it's a dynamic piece of kit rather than a static piece of kit like a parallel bar. Um, you have to be able to stabilize it. You have to be able to. Um, I think you can get a better range on a, a movement on a ring dip than you can on a parallel bar. It's quite hard to achieve a full um, range of movement on a parallel bar, um, I think, anyway. Um, and uh, also like doing the pause work on a, on ring dips. So either in the you know in the extension or the the full contraction at the top. Um, and then the second exercise um, would be a headstand press up. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you didn't say a handstand push up. <laughs> yeah, I think a freestanding headstand push up, which is very advanced, um, is just a, a really great way of, uh, again, expressing balance coordination, um, dexterity whilst you're upside down. Um, it's because you've got, you don't have a wall to rely on. Um, there's much more of an emphasis on, on having a strong line of tension through your body. Um, and uh yeah i think when if, you, if you've ever seen one of those done well it, it's just uh it's quite a feat in just a physical expression yeah yeah you, you're doing a lot of things at once with, with that i guess and uh like i said that's a, that's a very advanced and you're upside down like as an athlete you're doing all this whilst looking at the world like <laughs> yeah I, the, you're 50 percent more stupid upside down which for me is not really giving me much hope <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I can I can contest as well to the 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 ring dips. Like, um, it's been a while since I've done any, but when I was well, this was quite a while ago. Maybe like when I was much newer to training, I was doing a lot of dip work, a lot of weighted dip dip work, and um, I was I was like able to um, do reps with my body weight plus forty kilos on dips. And at this point, I just left a gym and started training at home, 
and I set up um, some rings, not realising there was going to be any difference. I hadn't really thought about the variation between doing ring dips compared to, to like normal dips. And I jumped on them, being able to do body weight plus 40 kilos. And I was like barely able to get a few reps out. And I was just wobbling all over the place. I was like, I can't believe how much harder <laughs> Yeah, for sure, man. I mean... <laughs> We also forget as well with things like dips and pull-ups um, and bodyweight stuff is you can you can train those as you would a back squat um, in terms of progressive progressing the weight, right? You can add weight in to make yeah. it more challenging and you can do exactly the same. You know, you could do a five-by-five five program if you like um, on pull-ups or on, on ring dips um, by adding, adding in weight and seeing that weight go up. And it's a great way of progressing, your, you know, your strength and making an exercise that you might be able to do body weight wise you know a lot of volume on harder yeah that I, yeah when when i had a when my body weight was a lot lighter that's what how i treated them i did treat them very similar to like um, a squat or a bench press or anything else i you i go through a training cycle of um dips being my main pressing movement and i would do linear progression on dips and same for pull-ups um and again like my body weight was light so rep what i was able to crank out a lot of reps with it so it fit perfectly to just keep adding weight and it worked great like i got very stronger than very well like and it carried over like my my bench went up after not benching from getting very strong at dips yeah like the the there's still a lot of carryover even though it's you know a fairly um fairly distant variation of the the movement yeah um all right what about um so like some weight carries, like fire, fire a couple of um, options over. I think the one we'll both agree to both use it is a sandbag front rack carry. Like just, I don't know, just something about a sandbag carry that just, I like it. It makes me feel class. Like, <laughs> just one of them. But in the same respect, it's so hard. Like it's one of them that your back will wear them. And even though people have tried to call me out on technique before of like, your back shouldn't be rounded. It's like, well, you ain't going to be able to do it without it. So it's one of them. But also just like the general, like because you're pressing the weight in as well, like how taxing it is on your breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're, you're running up and down with like a 50 kilo bag. That's not really that cardiovascular. But then when you're pulling a bag into your chest and basically minimizing the amount of oxygen you can actually take in during the set, it becomes like highly taxing. Yeah. I think that, and then just like over, I just love overhead carries as well. Just that level of like bracing, like stability, like whether that be dual kettlebell, barbell. I know we've played, around, we've played around trying to do it with the yoke, which I can have my head in shame that I wasn't even able to do a step with it. Like, I remember when me and Connor were doing that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the, the yoke's ninety-five kilos, so I'm going to give myself a you know a pass there. It's like it's not like it's a twenty-kilo bar. We need to, we need to bring that back when we're allowed to open back up again. We're going to do that. We're going to do some overhead yoke carries. Oh gosh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what yeah, about you, Alex? Oh man, I think the sandbag one is great, and it you know because it's compressing basically where you're trying to breathe into. I think that's what makes it such a gassy exercise because you, you just can't fill your lungs in the same way. Um, but um, other than that, you know, I mean, just to go for a standard farmer carry, but I, I quite like, you know, single arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the sandbag carry and the single arm farmer carry, or maybe 
both versions, both varieties of pharmacary are probably the most reciprocal exercise you're going to do in the gym of everyday life, you know, uh, in terms of carrying your shopping, maybe you're not got that much weight as you, as you're shopping or whatever, but like, you know, the principle remains the same. It's probably the, the most similar movement pattern. Um, so I don't know when you're doing your gardening, for example, or whatever it is, like, I think it's just got a lot of carryover, but it's also a great way to, um, I quite like including them in, in like conditioning pieces and stuff because in your head, you're like, I'm only walking like this shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you, if you load it correctly, like it, it can be harder than whatever the, the other components in the workout are. Um, and then if we're just talking about it as a, it's another way of, of kind of, I guess, loading the spine and, and load it and, and creating sort of um, pressure in your core. Um, but without having to squat, without having to deadlift, you know, um so yeah i quite like those and i quite like the single arm version as well because you've kind of got that emphasis on trying to counter balance um you know the weight on on, on the one side that you're carrying it on and stuff yeah i mean that's the only thing that people forget is with a single arm carry they forget to sort of like you've still got to stand straight yeah like they almost let the weight pull them down which kind of defeats the whole object so it's that it's that way of like using your core like almost unilaterally to yeah hold yourself nice and steady yeah that that's the that's the beauty of the exercise isn't it that's kind of the main point of it yeah yeah uh, i want to just chuck another one in there and it's very similar to the sandbag holes now, i don't know whether you ever tried it Tom. i can't remember doing the zercher carries with the yoke but i suppose you can do it with a barbell or anything else i've tried it with the yoke i've also done it remember we did the um the front rack with the coat yoke as well yes that is just all sorts of nonsense but yeah zercher carries again like it just again like you said similar to the the sandbag carry you're getting the same sort of like tension in your back it would be easier in effect you allow yourself to breathe better yeah you can breathe a bit better you're gonna have, a better. have the swing from the yoke which is gonna throw you off a bit and then just the general discomfort in the crooks of your elbows yeah i i, I find that like um when I'm doing the sandbag carries, not that I've done a lot of them, but um, I'll, find, I'll find I'll start getting a lot of fatigue in my forearms and biceps, um, just because yeah. the, obviously the sandbag's big and bulky, so the weight is out in front of me more. Whereas with the Zercher carry, my my forearms are much more upright, and the weight is sitting in the crooks of my elbow, so it's pulling directly down, yeah. um, and I'm able to have a flatter back while I'm while I'm walking or running. Mm. Um, which just meant that like, I was feeling it a lot more in my mid back, my, my rhomboids and that, like they were just, my mid back was just completely lit up from doing that. Yeah. So that's why I probably prefer that a tiny bit more than the sandbags and the fact that you can breathe a little bit easier, yeah. although it isn't nice. You love a zercher, mate. I do. I'll zercher you anything, mate. Right? It's easier to set up. Like, it's problem with the sandbag. Even if you're going from the box, you got faff around getting the, box, like, the bag in and you got to get it into your position. But you know, you've done... 10 15 seconds worth of work before we've even started a damn set, yeah, true, yeah, that's a good like, point. but but yeah, man, like pros and cons over thing. But and uh, I'll tell you just another one for the Zertry as well, like it's incrementally loadable, which is obviously you know a useful tool depending on how you've got that in your training. Whereas, yeah. like sandbags, generally they're going to go up in probably 10 kilo jumps. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to use sandbags in a boot camp setting and, uh, you know, the lightest one we've got is 30 kilos, which, I don't know, to me, I'm like, everyone should be able to lift it, but not everyone can lift it. And, uh, you know, 
you you then having to scramble around trying to find something that's maybe a little bit lighter to to use. But um, I think you're right in saying uh, uh, with the Zercher, that's one of the benefits is you don't have to go up in such big jumps. Yeah, That's brilliant, guys. Well, I just want to say thank you for joining us and thank you for everyone listening. Um, Hopefully you've got some really good knowledge from that group discussion. So if you guys just want to say bye, so goodbye, Lewis. See you later. Goodbye, Tom. Peace out, people. And goodbye, Alex. Ciao for now. And we'll hopefully see you all again soon. Bye.